All right, and we are live. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming to a coffee and conversation. Um, we am by myself this evening. Uh, Red covered for me last week while I was away attending to some family business. And I appreciate that, Red, for um, joining us and Lord uh, Universal Discourse for taking over last week. Much appreciated. Tonight, I am joined by Larry Cooperman and Fred Cook. Uh, both are working with Beyond Barriers. Fred Cook is the Associate Director at Beyond Barriers, and Larry Cooperman is one of our volunteers. Um, and if any of you have seen our Coffee and a Conversation or anything on my channel before, you will know that Larry has joined us before. So um, thank you both for joining us this evening. Um, how are you guys doing this evening? Doing great and glad to be here. Doing good. Just a little bit uh, tired after today. Right. Long days, long days. Well, thank you uh, for joining us this evening. And tonight's conversation and coffee, we are actually talking about um, humor, Jewish humor. And Larry has a presentation for us tonight. But before we get into the presentation tonight, I wanted to um, obviously welcome you both to the show. Uh, for anybody that is listening to the live stream and watching this live stream, um, please know that we love audience participation. So please throw up any questions that you have, comments, concerns, anything you want up in our chat this evening. And I will make sure to let both Larry and Fred know that as well. Um, I am about eight people away from my sub goal this evening. Um, we have seven out of 15 subs for the evening. Also let you know that you can sub via your prime. If you have Amazon prime, you can sub for free and all the proceeds and everything go directly to support this stream and to bring you great continued content. You can also check us out at beyondbarriersusa.org, which is should be going at the bottom of your screen right now. And also you can uh, check us out via anchor.fm slash beyondbarriersradio um, for more of that. And uh, Fred, uh, uh, Larry was just mentioning to me there that uh, he said you had a wonderful joke to tell this evening. So I wanted just to hop right into it without further delay and um, see what jokes we got for this evening. I, I only know one really good Jewish joke, and I believe Larry's the one that told it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably guilty of that one. Fred, the floor is yours. A Catholic priest and a rabbi are on an airplane, and the Catholic priest looks over at the rabbi and says, you know, I know you're not supposed to, but uh, you've, you've tried some form of pork before, haven't you? The rabbi said, well, one time when I was younger, I was a new rabbi. I went across town where nobody knew me, and I had a ham sandwich. And instantly, the Catholic priest says, see, I knew it. I knew it. And a few minutes goes by and the rabbi says, I understand Catholic priests aren't supposed to have sex, but I'm sure at some point you had to have, you know. And the Catholic priest goes, well, one time when I was a new priest, I went across town where nobody knew me. And I, I did. I, I met this girl and I slept with her. And the rabbi looks over at him and says, see, see, better than a ham sandwich. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I, could, I, I could see Larry telling that joke for sure, for sure. <laughs> I, uh, I fear that's going to be my legacy right there, Fred. So thank you very much for that. That's awesome. Without further delay, I will hand it over to you now, Larry. And uh, for all of you guys that are watching this live, uh, Larry has a presentation. And it will be eventually available on uh, beyondbarriersusa.org for anybody that would like to see it later. Um, and I will post up the links in the VOD and in um the chat and description on Facebook and YouTube uh, when that gets posted up there later in the week. So let me start off by thanking Fred for uh, for warming up the uh, the audience for me. That was a that was a great introduction. Um, at, at at Passover time, it is uh, traditional to to have a uh, a Hillel sandwich, and a, a Hillel sandwich is a a mixture of of sweet and um, and, and 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 bitter and sharp. Herbs and this this presentation is kind of going to be like that. It's not going to be all jokes. There is some um, serious content here, but I think everybody will enjoy it. And it's of, of particular um, import uh, to to people who are, are struggling to, you know, find their way in today's society of, of how do you cope with with everything that's going on around uh, around you. So. Um, let me start off by telling a joke that, um, as far as I can tell, is about 150 years old. And no, I wasn't around when it was first told. I'm not that old. <laughs> so um, when you tell a joke to uh, an Am Haaretz, uh, to a peasant, um, the man laughs three times. Once when you tell him the joke, once when you explain the joke, and then a couple of days later when he actually gets the joke. You tell the same joke to a, a landlord, um, the landlord laughs twice, once when you tell him the joke and once when you explain the joke because he never actually gets it. You tell the joke to a policeman, he laughs only once. Uh, he laughs at the joke, but he never lets you explain it and he never gets it. When you tell the same joke to a Jew, he lets you get partway through it and then he interrupts you and says, I've heard it before and to tell you the truth, I tell it better. <laughs> so that's a little sample of what you're in for this evening. Um, on the on the serious side, um, these are these are a couple of quotes. The first one is from Lords: um, "When they have taken everything else from you, humor is what you have left." And the second one um, is uh, from my father, who said, "In this life, my son, if you don't learn to laugh, you'll be crying a lot." Um, a Jewish man is a Jewish man is asked, um, "Why do you people always answer a question with another question?" And of course, the Jewish man answers, "Well, why do you ask such a thing?" Um, so I'm going to begin by by asking you people in the audience um, to hold this in your in your in your minds while you're listening to this. Why is humor such an important part of the culture of a people who have suffered so much? So first first part of it, uh, who says that Jews are funny? Jews are oh three percent of the U.S. population, but eighty percent of the nation's professional comedians are Jews. That's of the professional comedians. Um, in my experience, every Jew has two jobs. Um, the one that everyone knows about that they go to in their nine to five, but then there's their real job as a stand-up comedian. Jews weren't always thought of, of as being funny. Um, the, the oldest stereotypes, uh, Christopher Marlowe's The Jew of Malta, um, Shylock from The Merchant of Venice, and uh, Fagin from uh, Dickens' Oliver Twist were not funny characters. 
by the way, if you if you read Oliver Twist um, today, you know, reading it through modern sensibilities, you'll find it's it's pretty damn anti-Semitic. Um, the references to Fagan, you know, stand out. Well, that's actually the edited version. Um, when Dickens went to sell his house, he had uh, just finished writing Oliver Twist, and um, he was confronted by the person that was going to buy his house, who happened to be Jewish. And uh, after they, they met and they had a discussion about it, uh, Dickens edited out about half the anti-Semitic references. So, wow. But there you go. So Jews, uh, Jews uh, transitioned from being a not funny people to being a funny people sometime in the, in the 19th century. Um, they evolved a particular style of, of humor in Germany called Judenwitz. Um, there was a, a corresponding um, style of humor in the eastern area, Poland, Russia, those countries um, called Ostjude. Um, and, and, and it was a it was a special type of humor. It was um, it was very dark. Uh, one of the people that uh, was considered you know the breakthrough comedians of his of his day, um, comedians you know in parentheses, um, was uh, was a musician and a, a playwright Heinrich Hein. Um, and Heinrich Hein was one of the the many Jews whose life had been shaped by the Enlightenment. Um, the Enlightenment is you know what gave birth to America. Um, those were the, the books that, you know, Jefferson and Washington were, were reading. Um, but there was also a Jewish enlightenment called the Haskalah. And it was when Jews broke out of their circumstances. Um, just, uh, just for people that don't have the historical background, um, the word ghetto derives from the Jewish neighborhood in Venice. And uh, the word pogrom, um, which, which only meant riot in Russian, um, was so often used in uh, in riots against the Jewish population of towns that it began to have that specific meaning. Um, as a group, when uh, the words that define your culture are ghetto and pogrom, you're kind of screwed. So Heinrich Hein was, uh, was one of the new generation of Jews that um, voluntarily uh, converted to Christianity. And, um, and he wrote about it um, very sarcastically, sardonically, but then on his deathbed, he wrote, um, our forefathers were brave people. They humbled themselves before God and were stubborn and fearless towards the worldly powers. I, on the contrary, challenged heaven with impudence and was humble and servile towards people. And now I lie on the ground like a worm that has been crushed under a foot. Kind of dark there. That was uh, what I was warning you about. Not exactly the, the funny stuff. So... We get up to we get up to the early 20th century, and Sigmund Freud um, writes a book called "Jokes in Their Relation to the Unconscious," and um, his his theory was that Jews uh, jokes allowed us to discuss topics that would otherwise be repressed, topics that were painful or scary, and this is a quote that any discussion of Jewish humor always has it. Um, I do not know whether there are many other instances of a people making fun to such a degree of its own character. Um, I'm now going to go back to telling jokes, um, but bear with me because this is a, a joke from Sigmund Freud, arguably one of the least funny Jews of all time. A young man is taken to the home of a prospective bride by a marriage broker, what we call a chadkin in, uh, in Yiddish. 
Uh, while sitting in the parlor, the agent draws the attention of the young man to a glass closet displaying a beautiful silver set. The broker comments, you can see how wealthy these people are. The young man considers and says, is it not possible that they borrowed these things to give the appearance mm -hmm. of wealth? The broker replies, <laughs> what an idea. Who in the world would be crazy enough to lend them anything? Um, hold on one minute. I am going to pause you for a second. Um, Go right ahead. Um, um, well, now, this is kind of awkward. Let me see something. Sorry, technical difficulties, everybody. If we aren't surprised, it wouldn't be my stream if we didn't have technical difficulties. Now, would it? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll rise above. Um, if you're worried about background noise, don't worry about it. I'm good. No, my, um, my, uh, um, um, crap. Hold on. Give me okay. one second. Yeah, go ahead. Um, actually, you guys stay there. And I will be right back in a second because, oh, it's, 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 yeah, it's Chrome that I'm having the issue with. So, because I've, I, by the way, my rabbi that, that, is at uh, my synagogue that we go uh -huh. to is one of the funniest guys. Oh, my God. And, Dorn, and, and Dorn has, go ahead. During his actual sermons, he will have oh, you yeah. cracking up because he tells so many jokes. It's hilarious. Like I said, you know, rabbi is his day job, but his real career is being a comic. Right. Are we good? We're good now. Um, okay. My green screen hates me at the moment, but that's just because I, uh, yeah. Anyways. Don't, wor don't worry about it. We'll, we'll persevere. Right. So, so there's a, a whole lot of stuff on the psychology of humor and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, um, skip past most of this stuff, but I am going to give you a quote from Woody Allen, um, back when he was a lot funnier and, uh, a lot less creepy. Um, I have frequently been accused of being a self-hating Jew. And while it's true that I hate myself, it's not because I'm Jewish. Um, and that was, uh, that was, that was the, the old Woody Allen there. So, okay, uh, a guy named Samuel Janis, who, who was once a stand-up comedian himself, spent a year interviewing Jewish comedians, giving them psychological tests. His subjects included Milton Berle, George Burns, David Brenner, Sid Caesar, David Steinberg, Mort Saul. We'll cover some of those people. Many of the comedians had been in psychotherapy, and almost all of them had major traumas in their own childhood. Um, Tony Field's mother died when Tony was five. Art Buchwald's uh, mother died shortly after birth. David Steinberg's uh, older brother died young, and the family never stopped mourning. Um, humor was their way of combating their inner demons. So I mentioned the word pogroms, and this is uh, over in Eastern Europe. Um, so this is a, a letter from Sholem Alechem, from Solomon Rabinovich, um, who, who, uh, who is most famous for writing uh, a, a novel about Tevye the milkman. Tevye starts off as a woodcutter through his intelligence and good-heartedness. Um, he's befriended. He's given a cow. He becomes Tevye the milkman. 
Um, he and his wife think that they've got it made, and they next move on to the next phase of their life, marrying off their daughters. Um, by the time the book is done, one of his daughters has followed her husband into uh, exile in a prison camp in Siberia. Another daughter has committed suicide. Um, another daughter has been estranged from her family for, for marrying uh, a non-Jew. I mean, it's just his wife is dead. Um, Tevye has been beaten up by, by a gang who said, well, you didn't do anything wrong, but the government needs us to beat up a Jew, and your name came out of the hat. His house has been burnt down. He's been exiled from his village, and he, he sets off wandering with maybe he's going to reconcile with, with his remaining daughter, but, but even that isn't known. And in America, we took this story and said, you know, this would make a great musical comedy. And that's how Fiddler on the Roof came about. So um, I always thought that, that it was a modern sensibility to, to tell all of these dark jokes. But if you read what, what Sholem Aleichem wrote um, about the pogroms, about you know, um, uh, who was murdered, who was killed, um, a woman is, is found dead in, in the, the cellar with her, with her infant daughter, he writes this, and at the end of it, he answers, he says, as for better, well, the sky is the limit. So this is an actual joke from those days. And, and again, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it is a dark humor. Um, during the days of oppression and poverty in the Russian shtetls, one village learned that a girl was found murdered near their village, and they knew that they would be blamed for it. Fearing a pogrom, the Jews gathered at the synagogue. Suddenly, the rabbi comes running in and, and cries, Wonderful news! The murdered girl was Jewish. Not exactly a, 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 a you know, thigh slapper there. We'll get, to, we'll get to better jokes as we move along. But I'm just saying that these were people that were living in terrible conditions, and the humor was, was their way of coping with it. Moving on to something a little bit better. So... Um, Isaac Bashiva Singer is, is among the writers uh, that collected the stories of the wise men of Helm. Um, it, these are a series of, of wise fools. And, um, and I, I have this joke uh, out of the Helm uh, collection, but it's, it's kind of been modernized, but I like it. Chaim Yankel is sitting at a bar, just staring at his drink for over half an hour, when in comes this big biker, he shoulders Chaim Yankel aside, reaches in front of him, grabs the glass, and downs the drink in a single gulp. Chaim Yankel starts crying. The biker says, come on, man, I, I was just giving you a hard time. I, I can't stand to see a man crying. Chaim Yankel explains, this is the worst day of my life. I can't do anything right. I overslept and was late to an important meeting. My boss fired me. Then I went to the parking lot and I found my car was stolen and I don't have any insurance. I grabbed a cab home, but after the cab left, I discovered that my wallet with all the money I had left was still in the cab. So I come to this bar trying to work up the courage to end my life. And now you come in and drink my poison. That's the joke. I do kind of like that one. Recently, a study was done uh, about um, humor in the concentration camps, humor during the Holocaust. And um, I thought this was just a fantastic quote. 
Um, in my opinion, the role of humor and satire was great, and I can say this now as a survivor of the camps, precisely because it was a graveyard, the fact that we somehow wanted to hold on to our personalities. They wanted to turn us into robots, and it was an integral part of our inner mental struggle for our human image that we were still capable of laughing at this or that. Humor was one of the integral components of our spiritual coping. The late, great Joan Rivers said, if I was marching to the ovens, I'd be telling jokes on the way. Jews lived in the USSR and the old Soviet Union, um, forbidden to leave, couldn't visit family or, or anyone overseas. And they, they came up with a series of stories about Rabinovich, a crafty, cynical Jewish Russian Jew, always at odds with the government. Rabinowitz sees a pompous and lavish funeral for a Politburo member and comments, what a waste. For this kind of money, I could have buried the entire Politburo. Rabinovich is challenged over a job application. You stated that you don't have any relatives abroad, but you do have a brother in Israel. Rabinowitz replies, yes, but he isn't abroad. I'm abroad. <laughs> when Vladimir Putin referred to the United States as Comrade Wolf, he was uh, referencing a Rabinovich joke. Rabinovich is walking through the forest with a sheep when both of them, the sheep and the man, stumble into a pit. A few minutes later, a wolf also falls into the pit. The sheep gets nervous and starts bleeding. Rabinovich says, what's with all the ba ba? Comrade Wolf knows who to eat. <laughs> so Israeli humor. Um, Israeli humor is similar in a lot of ways to to traditional Jewish humor and, and to, to Russian humor, but um, this is one that I liked in particular. An elderly couple hears the air raid sirens telling them to get to shelter. The husband refuses to go until he can find his dentures. The wife yells at him, what do you think, they're dropping sandwiches? Come on. Here's another Israeli joke. A rabbi dies and goes up to the gates of heaven. Before he's let in, the angel in charge has to consult with God for a long period of time to see if the rabbi deserves a place in heaven. As the rabbi is waiting, an Israeli bus driver approaches the gates of heaven. Without a second thought, the angel who is consulting with God lets the bus driver through. The rabbi points to the bus driver and says, hey, how come he gets in so quickly? He's a simple bus driver while I'm a rabbi. The angel explains, rabbi, you don't understand. When you'd be giving your servant, sermon during the prayer services, your entire congregation would fall asleep. When this bus driver drove towards Tel Aviv, all his passengers sat at the edge of their seats praying as hard as they could to God. So coming to America. Um, in America, there was a new sense of freedom and acceptance. There were religious jokes, both about Judaism and Christianity, a la the joke that Fred told about uh, better than a ham sandwich. Um, assimilation was a bit of an issue where Jews were worried about losing their identity. Self-deprecation, Jewish stereotypes, anti-Semitism. A rabbi once asked his old friend, a priest, say, could you ever get promoted within your church? The priest says thoughtfully, well, I could become a bishop. The rabbi persists, and after that, with a pause for consideration, the priest says, well, maybe I could even become a cardinal. And then, after thinking for some time, the priest responds, who knows, someday I might even rise to the rank of being the pope. But still the rabbi is not satisfied. And then, 
With an air of incredulity, the priest cries, What more could I become, God himself? The rabbi says quietly, Why not? One of our boys made it. <clears throat> Two Jewish women meet in the park. One has her children with her. Oh, how beautiful your children are, says the other woman. And how old are they now? The woman replies, Well, the lawyer is four and the doctor is three. So I mentioned assimilation, and, and assimilation um, during the time in Europe um, was considered a serious threat. Um, in America, not so much. Two rabbis are discussing their problems with squirrels. One rabbi said, well, we called an exterminator, and he got rid of the squirrels, but six months later, they were back. The other rabbi says, huh, we just gave the squirrels a bar mitzvah, and we never saw them again. The point of that joke is that... Um, is that many Jews, myself included, um, after after getting their bar mitzvah, only show up for weddings and funerals. The rate of Jewish intermarriage is a serious problem. Scientists estimate that unless something can be done to stop intermarriage, in a hundred years, the Jewish people will be reduced to a race of gorgeous blondes. Sorry, Acacia. So, Jewish comedians in America, the Marx Brothers, or We Owe It All to a Mule. One night in 1912, the musical group, the Six Mascots, comprised of four brothers, their mother Minnie and their aunt Hannah, were interrupted by a ruckus outside. A mule had run away and the townspeople were trying to subdue it. Upset at the event and perhaps angry that the audience was paying more attention to the mule than to the musical performance, Julius Henry began making snide remarks to the audience. Hilarity, as the saying goes, ensued. While the music would remain part of their act, the group would be reborn as the Marx Brothers. This story has been repeated in a number of variations through various biographies. Either the town was Nacogdoches, Texas, and the remarks included, Nacogdoches is full of roaches, or there was someplace else, and the remarks included, the jackass is the flower of Texas, or perhaps it was Marshall, Texas, or it might have been Ada, Oklahoma. The one thing that remains constant is the mule. The four Marx brothers plus one. Um, Chico was Leonard Marx, uh, as were the three oldest brothers. His nickname, pronounced Chico, was given him by Art Fisher during a poker game. Leonard was notorious for chasing after the chicks or women. His phony Italian accent covered his real Yiddish accent. Adolf Marx was was uh, changed his name to uh, Adolf Marx changed his name to Arthur in 1911 because he didn't want to be associated by with the other famous Adolf, but he was best known as Harpo. He played the harp and he really was a virtuoso. The silence of his character derived from his inability to memorize dialogue and his own natural sh shyness. Groucho, the aforementioned Julius Henry Marx. Um, there are a number of explanations for his name, but the most commonly accepted is his grouchy personality. It was Groucho that took the town to task for the mule. Herbert Manford Marx, better known as Zeppo, appeared in the first five Marx Brothers movies and then set off for his second career as an engineer. His company machined parts during World War II, developed a motorcycle and a biometric watch, and his patents made him a millionaire. So there was a fifth brother, um, Gummo. And Gummo left show business for the army during World War I. He never liked performing, and after the war, he opened a theatrical agency. 
completely unrelated to the theatrical agency, he also obtained a patent for the invention of a clothes packing rack, which made him quite wealthy. Um, it wasn't until Gummo joined the army that Zeppo was asked to join the act as a last minute stand in for a show in Texas. Zeppo was supposed to go out that night with a Jewish friend of his where they were going to be double dating with two Irish girls. But Zeppo had to cancel in order to board the train to Texas to be part of the act. His friend went ahead and went on the date and was shot a few hours later when he was attacked by an Irish gang that disapproved of a Jew dating an Irish girl. Um, so some of Groucho's uh, wonderful lines, I'm probably the most famous is, uh, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. <clears throat> These are my principles, and if you don't like them, well, I have others. <clears throat> Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Behind every successful man is a woman, and behind her is his wife. <clears throat> While they were still in music, um, they met uh, a performer named Benjamin Kabelski, who would soon change his name to Jack Benny. Um, Minnie Marks liked his violin playing, and he became a friend of the family. He was invited over to the house for Passover Seder, where he was introduced, actually fixed up with their 14-year-old cousin, Sadie Marks. Yeah, it was a, a different time. Five years later, he would meet Sadie again, and this time he would fall for her. A year after that, in 1927, they would marry and begin a shared career that would span decades. Um, best known for his radio and television shows, he made 44 movies, and he appeared uh, with Carol Lombard in a great film, To Be or Not to Be. So um, Jack Benny, when he first appeared on the Ed Sullivan radio program that was before the Ed Sullivan show, his first line is, this is Jack Benny talking. There will be a slight pause while you say, who cares? One of the negative stereotypes about Jews has always been our cheapness. Jack Benny took this and made it a key part of his shtick. A stick-up man approaches him and says, your money or your life. After a pause, the stick-up man says, well, and Jack Benny says, wait a minute, I'm thinking. Mary Livingston was originally supposed to be the dumb girlfriend, but she would often be the one that got the biggest laughs. Benny was not jealous of her. He said, I don't care who gets the laughs in my show as long as the show is funny. Um, he was a consummate, um, consummate deliverer of comedic lines. He could make an entire audience laugh with just one word. Well, I had to throw in uh, the Three Stooges. Um, I, I guess everybody knows the Three Stooges. And whereas Jack Benny and the Marx Brothers played um, with word humor, these guys were um, were actually doing broad comedy involving you know, physical acts, right? The hammer, the poke in the eyes. Um, many people did not realize that all four of the Stooges were Jews. Um, in 1940, they made a short film called um, You Nazi Spy, followed by the 1941 sequel, I'll Never Heil Again. Um, these were unpopular movies um, because uh, America had not joined the war at that time. And most Americans actually favored isolationism as staying out of World War II. So um, just an interesting side note about the boys. If you read their, their biographies, and there are plenty of them, they all had really unhappy lives, mm -hmm. um, including getting a lot of damage from their, their physical style of humor. So we move into the, the Borscht Belt. Um, the Borscht Belt was the, the, the Jewish-owned um, vacation places in the Catskill Mountains. 
um, where it was an hour and an hour and a half drive from New York City. Um, comedians that got their start there include Jackie Mason, George Burns, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles, Woody Allen, Buddy Hackett, Maury Amsterdam, on and on, Jerry Lewis, many more. So one of the things that the, the characterization of the Borscht Belt humor was that it was done really rapid fire. But by the time you finished laughing at one joke, they were on to the next one. A car hits an elderly Jewish man. The paramedic uh, brings him into the ambulance and says to the patient, are you comfortable? The man says, well, I make a living. I just got back from a pleasure trip. I took my mother to the airport. What are the three words a woman never wants to hear when she's making love? Honey, I'm home. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's okay. Um, someone stole all my credit cards, but I won't be reporting it. The thief spends less than my wife did. Oh, God. <laughs> so the king of the one-liners without dispute was Henry Henny Youngman. Um, he worked as a violinist. Um, he worked in a print shop where he was responsible for writing comedy cards, for making up one-line jokes that went to other people. Encouraged by his friend Milton Berle, um, he began to tell the jokes himself. And, uh, and you know, he, he uh, mixed violin playing with stand-up comedy. His tagline, you know, his most famous line was, take my wife, please. A doctor gives a man six months to live. The man can't pay his bill, so the doctor gives him another six months. A drunk is brought in front of a judge. The judge says to him, you've been brought here for drinking. The drunk says, okay, let's get started. A bum came up to me and said, give me 10 bucks till payday. I asked when payday. He said, I don't know. You're the ones working. <laughs> Milton Berle, um, Mr. Television. Um, so Milton Berle... Um, Ran was a, he was he he was became the primary host of uh, the Texaco Star Theater, and this is just a, a great Detroit story. Um, televisions were sold; people bought televisions specifically to watch the Milton Berle show. That's how popular he was, and almost everyone that had a television tuned in to watch his show. In Detroit, they were facing an unusual problem: water levels dropped mysteriously between 9 p.m. and 9.05 p.m. every week. The reason was people waited until his show was over and then ran to the bathroom. When they flushed, it brought down the water levels. Some of Milton Berle's jokes. I remember every one of your insulting jokes. I'll use them later. Mr. Gallup, you have a beautiful tail there. If you wear your coat long enough, no one will notice it. Ah, uh, I remember when I met you on the high seas, Cynthia, how coy you were. You tried to get away from me, and what a fight you put up. You bent four of my harpoons. We grew together. I grew up. She grew sideways. You look like something the dog just buried in the backyard and is trying to forget where. And this is one of my favorite ones. You can lead a man to Congress, but you can't make him think. So then we kind of move into... Where, where Jews have really become comfortable and we get the, the edgy comedians. Um, Mort Saul, um, he, was, he was a social satirist. He was considered the only real political philosopher that we have in modern comedy. He would come out with a newspaper um, as inspiration and as his prop. Um, he inspired a new generation of comedians um, with both his subject matter and his style. 
Um, he was the first comic to make a record album, first to win a Grammy, first to do college conferences. Um, he was on the cover of Time magazine. That's how big he was. Um, in real life, um, as with as with a number of other comics, um, he volunteered to fight in World War II. Um, he actually enlisted illegally when he was only 14 years of age. Um, uh, his mom um, found him and, and brought him back. Um, when he was 15, he lied about his age and joined the Army again. And again, his mother tracked him down and had him discharged. When he graduated high school, he joined the Air Force and was stationed in Alaska. Um, a nonconformist, he grew a beard and, ref and refused to wear his cap. Um, so he had this, this really successful career. He was probably the most successful comedian of his time. And then came the Kennedy assassination in 1963, and Mort Saul went off the rails. He uh, developed an obsession about, about, about the Kennedy assassination, and um, he stopped being funny. Um, his career was, was essentially over. Um, so many people had been influenced by him that they tried to bring him back. He did a tour in the 1970s um, with people that he had influenced, um, George Carlin, Lily Tomlin, Richard Pryor. In the 80s, um, he had a, a one-man show. In 2001, um, Woody Allen helped him get bookings, um, but his career never never was, was revived. Um, he is considered the number 40 on Comedy Central's list of the uh, 100 greatest uh, stand-up comedians, uh, positioned appropriately between fans of his, Billy Crystal and Jon Stewart. Some of Mort Saul's um, lines, the more recent ones, the more relevant ones. Um, Reagan won because he, had, because he ran against Jimmy Carter. If he had run unopposed, he would have lost. Washington couldn't tell a lie, Nixon couldn't tell the truth, and Reagan couldn't tell the difference. Most people past college age are not atheists. It's too hard to be in society. For one thing, you don't get any days off. <laughs> I've arranged with my executor to be buried in Chicago because when I die, I still want to remain politically active. So it wouldn't be uh, fair to mention Mort Saul without mentioning Lenny Bruce. Um, Lenny Bruce uh, volunteered for the, the Navy uh, during World War II. Um, served honorably aboard a, um, a destroyer. Um, but then after the war was over, um, he appeared in drag during a comedy bit. And uh, this upset the captain that had him sent to the sh ship psychiatrist. And when the ship psychiatrist asked him why he had worn a dress, he could have easily said it was part of the shtick, it was part of the comedy material. Instead, he said, because I'm gay and he was discharged. So he developed a stream of consciousness style of comedy um, uh, that was that was that was highly influential. It was like a jazz style, um, no filters, uh, often obscene by the standards of his day. He was arrested four times for obscenity, and once for impersonating a priest, um, and multiple drug offenses. If I was a, if I was a stand-up comedy comic. Uh, Back in that day, I would have put that on my resume. And really, he changed comedy in America. Um, some of his lines uh, were, um, even if you, you're a Catholic, if you live in New York, you're Jewish. If you live in Butte, Montana, you're going to be Goyish even if you are Jewish. If I get busted in New York, the freest city in the world, that will be the end of my career. In 1961, um, he was his uh, second arrest for obscenity took place um, when he played at a club and used the word schmuck 
Fred, I hope you're taking notes on this. Um, among the audience members that night was a young man named George Carlin. And George Carlin would be arrested for underage drinking that um, he, he actually told the cops that he was that he was only 17 uh, so that he would have the honor of riding in the paddy wagon with with his hero, Lenny Bruce. Um, 1966, August 3rd, Lenny Bruce was found dead in the bathroom of his Hollywood home with a syringe nearby. He had been a heroin addict for almost all of his adult life. <clears throat> One of the things that. Um, well, a, a, a couple of, uh, of last Lenny Bruce lines. Um, liberals can understand everything but people who don't understand them. If you believe that there's a God, a God that made your body, and yet you think you can do anything with that body that's dirty, then the fault lies with the manufacturer. Woody Allen. Um, so I'm not going to go into Woody Allen's marriage to his adopted daughter, which is just weird, but um, there's no question that, that Woody Allen um, influenced the, the course of comedy. Um, you know, he, he was uh, insecure, intellectual, constantly worried. Um, uh, he had no onstage persona. Um, unlike the other comedians, he dressed and spoke like a, a normal person. His content was the complete opposite of, of Lenny Bruce or Mort Saul. He never spoke about political topics, avoided issues like civil rights or the Cold War. Um, and where Lenny pioneered an improvisation-oriented style based on stream of consciousness, Woody Allen once estimated that it took him six months of writing to prepare a 30-minute monologue. Some of Woody Allen's lines, um, he, he talked a lot about death. Um, but one of Woody Allen's lines that, that I liked is, um, dying is one of the few things that can be done just as easily lying down. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, you can draw a direct line between Woody Allen and Jerry Seinfeld. Um, you know, everyone knows Jerry Seinfeld. You know, he began his career at Catch a Rising Star, then the Improv Club. He really made those places. Um, he was the co-creator of the show Seinfeld with, with Larry David you know, um, named by TV Guide as the greatest TV show of all time. Um, <clears throat> I like how the coldness thing drives the beer people crazy. The commercials are always frost-brewed, cold-filtered, ice-bottled. We pack it in a glacier, then put it on a frozen truck driven by a polar bear. Hey, guys, we're not transplanting a kidney here. You're just trying to get drunk. Relax. It's going to work. Monkeys have contributed a lot to society. They were the first astronauts in the 1960s, which I'm sure made perfect sense in the monkey brain. I see. So instead of the little bellhop uniform, you want me to get into a rocket and orbit the Earth at supersonic speed? Yeah, I think that's the next logical step for me because, you know, I've been working with a guy with a crank organ and I feel ready to handle the maximum reentry G-forces. I saw a study once that said that the number one fear of the average person is public speaking, and the number two fear is death. Death is number two. How in the world is that? That means that to most people, if you have to go to a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> kind of getting into modern times, John Stewart. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, everybody knows who John Stewart is. Everyone watched The Daily Show, I'm sure. Um, 
But I'm going to I'm going to give a couple of things, uh, a couple of, of comments about him. Um, in 2008, the New York Times called him the most trusted man in America, a phrase that originally had been used for Walter Cronkite. Um, Stewart was open and upfront about his Jewish heritage, and it was incorporated in his material, but sometimes in unexpected ways. Um, I, I don't know if, if everyone in the audience realizes that Jews are deeply divided on the issues of Israel and uh, about about the treatment of the the people that, that are in Gaza in particular. Um, John Stewart shocked his audience by saying, we cannot be Israel's rehab sponsor and its drug dealer at the same time. Um, so, a um, couple of, uh, of John Stewart lines that I, I've really enjoyed. Um, you wonder sometime how our government puts on its pants in the morning. Liberal and conservative has lost their meaning in America. I represent the distracted center. Religion. It's given people hope in a world torn apart by religion. If America leads a blessed life, then why did God put all of our oil under people who hate us? <laughs> so, Mel Brooks. Um, Boy, he needs uh, he no, needs no introduction. I will tell you, um, it was a, a turning point for me in 1968 when um, when the movie The Producers came out, um, which which is you know the first Mel Brooks movie. It was the first time that I realized that that there was somebody else out there that that made jokes um, the, the way I did, that that uh, laughed at the at the same kinds of things. Um, that I did. And, um, you know, Mel Brooks um, has a, a Nazi reference, um, even if it's secondhand, even if it's, you know, the authoritarian figures um, in uh, Blazing Saddles, um, there's, there's always some, some kind of reference in his, in his movies. Um, one of his great lines is, um, rhetoric does not get you anywhere because Hitler and Mussolini are just as good at rhetoric. But if you can bring these people down with comedy, they stand no chance. So that's great. a good one. Sorry to interrupt you there, but that like is awesome. Can you repeat that line one sure. more time? Sure. Um, rhetoric does not get you anywhere because Hitler and Mussolini are just as good at rhetoric. But if you can bring these people down with comedy, they stand no chance. Um, I would tell you that perhaps the um, the greatest movie ever made to that theme is Charlie Chaplin's um, The Great Dictator. Yes, absolutely. Um, by the way, there was there was a rumor um, after after uh, he made that movie that Charlie Chaplin was Jewish. And Charlie Chaplin being who he was, he would neither affirm nor deny. <laughs> so Mel Brooks was once asked um, to define comedy, the difference between comedy and tragedy. And he answered like this, tragedy is when I cut my finger because it hurts me. Comedy is when you fall down an open sewer and die. <laughs> a comedian that was, that was part of my generation, but you might never have heard of, was um, Professor Irwin Corey, um, the mm. world's foremost authority. Um, his style of humor was um, similar to and probably was the origin of, of the humor of both um, Yogi Berra and Casey Stengel in, in baseball. Um, he was um, he was known for 
his opening line when he came out on stage, you know, after the applause died down, he would look out into the audience and begin by saying, however, wherever you go, there you are. You can get further with a kind word and a gun than you can with just a kind word. If we don't change direction soon, we'll end up where we're going. I was introducing Tom Lira one night, and by the way, I will tell you guys, if you if you haven't learned uh, heard, heard of um, the music of Tom Lira, um, please let me recommend that to you. Um, it will re redefine um, humor for you. Um, I was introducing Tom Lira one night, and I must have gone on for 20 minutes. When Tom Lira finally did come on stage, he opened up his act by saying, and in conclusion. So there you go. Um, that's it for you. Uh, again, I will, um, I will be sending over um, a version of this um, complete with my notes that you guys can use to tell jokes to bore your friends. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you very, very much for that. And it was very interesting. And I'm sure everybody, I'm rearranging stuff on here. Yay. Any comments, questions, anything to add? That Fred. was awesome, Larry. That was absolutely awesome, sir. It's always you, awesome. You are so knowledgeable about so much. It is literally astounding sometimes. I am just so glad um, that I get to share some of this stuff with, with you people. And I am glad that you're willing to share it because these are a lot of things like, you know, because anti-Semitism in and of itself is running so rampant today and I'm going to take it back. I'm not going to say it's running rampant because it has always been there. It is just being coming more to the forefront of a lot of conversations now. But because of that, I think a lot of times people are almost, they walk on eggshells and almost afraid to even ask anything. And these are conversations that we can have such as this, like Jewish humor. It, it's There's nothing wrong with it. Like every culture has a different kind of humor, dark humor, light humor, all of that. So, so it's great. So, so a couple of things on that. Um, if you want to see the humor um, that is closest in terms of, of the, the edginess and the, the self-deprecating quality of it um, to Jewish humor, watch any, any good black comedian. If, yes. if, if if Chris Rock wasn't wasn't uh, Chris Rock could be part of our tribe, no question. <laughs> I, still claim Richard, I still claim Richard Pryor. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And and that's that's a quality of you know the the first thing that I had I had said that when you have nothing else, when they try to take everything else away from you, humor is what you have left. Acacia, okay, so yeah, um, regarding regarding anti-Semitism today. Um, in, in part because because of, of America's political situation, and in part also because of the um, the events um, taking place in Gaza, yes. um, Jews are are being condemned by both um, the right and the left. And the left. Yep. So, Fred, I look at our role in American society as being the unifiers. We bring people together in their hatred of us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a, here, it's a dirty a job. Funny, sorry, it's a dirty yeah. job, but thankfully we get to do it. That, that it's Very funny true. because I, I read this uh, article, this essay in, in a book I'm reading, and it was how do you know when you were, you know, how you truly felt Jewish while you're in the process of converting? And it made me think, 
the first time I actually felt truly Jewish was when I was offended by anti-Semitism, like personally offended by it. That's how it was like, wait a minute. I, you know, a year ago, I would have just been like, hey, that's not cool and blew it off. But when it personally affected me, I was like, wait, wait, wait. This is something completely different that I'm not used to. I personally take this as offensive. And, and, the, and the only way to combat anti-Semitism um, is, is through humor. I mean, really, it's, it's the only, it, it diffuses that. So when I was a kid, um, when I was a, a kid, uh, my, my non-Jewish friends used to, you know, try to, try to half provoke. I mean, kids are cruel, but would tell these, these awful, you know, Holocaust concentration camp jokes. And, and my friends and I all adopted that humor. We took it away from them and, and made it ours. It was, it was something that we would tell. And then they didn't know what to say to us that, that here was a Jew telling a Jewish joke. Yeah. And, and I thought that was, I thought that was, you know, originally unique to me. And then I thought that was, um, something that you know well well the boys in the bronx did it wasn't until i actually started studying the topic to, to realize you know how much a part of our culture it has been for literally hundreds of years yeah 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 well and it you guys are both you know amazing people in and of themselves so if anybody wants to check out beyondbarriersusa.org um, I will also post it up here for if you want to follow Fred or Larry or myself on Twitter um, for both all of three of us actually are pretty active on there. But um, and definitely check out some of the past episodes that Larry's done. I mean, if you want education and real education and to be able to learn things like I cannot tell you how much I learn every single time you come on the podcast, like an yep. immense amount of knowledge that. It's some of these things some of us just really don't think about because I myself am not Jewish. So it's kind of like what um, Fred said as far as, you know, now that he realized that he was uh, genetically Jewish and then also has converted to Judaism, that it was the first time that he was like, oh, wait, this is more than just not cool. Like, this really hurts and offends me personally. Like, those are some things that a lot of us don't think about. You know, they say sticks and bones may break, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And anybody that's ever heard that and heard that said, you can tell them that is a complete and utter. Yeah. Bullshit. So, so um, <laughs> b before the, uh, the guys started marching in Germany, Hitler was giving speeches. So there's a kind of linear thing between the, the words and then the actions, right? Right. And I liked what you said also about, you know, as far as rhetoric, anybody can spew rhetoric. Anybody can, um, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever. And I think the more we start having these conversations and diving into different cultures and um, treating one another as human beings, realizing, oh, everybody copes with things in different ways, but humor, let me tell you, Humor across the board is probably one of the best medicines ever created on this earth because, and you can find commonality within humor too. And a lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, joy and laughing brings people together, but it also helps some people through the hardest of times. There is a movie called Life is Beautiful. Have either one of you guys ever yes. seen it? Yes. I have not. I check it out, Fred. 
I recommend that movie to anybody. I actually saw that movie with my parents when it originally came out and it was only subtitled English because it was all in Italian. And you guys are going to make me cry. But anyways, um, <laughs> this it's a, father... It's just a beautiful movie. Go oh ahead. my gosh. It is a beautiful movie. Um, it's about a, an Italian Jewish family going through the Holocaust. Um. And I forget exactly what it was, but the father and the son were separated from the mom. And the the dad, the kid was, what, maybe four or five years old? Couldn't have been much, maybe a little bit older than that. But the dad was a comedian. He treated it, they were in the, the camp, and he treated it as though it was a game so that his boy would not have to deal with the horrors of what was going on around him. So um, I'll post it up in chat. Uh, there's a, there's, there's a book, there's a book and a movie also um, that, that you might enjoy. Um, very similar story called Michelle, Michelle, mm. uh, Michael, Michael, not, not the woman's name, Michelle, right. French was it. And, um, it's it, it's about this Jewish family that has a son. They realize that they're going to get sent off to the concentration camps. So they concoct this plot where they send the son off to the place that would be least you know least suspected. They send him off to the village's anti-Semite mm. um, with a note that that he's this he's the son of a long lost cousin and that he's you know coming to stay with his you know with his relative. And, and they're able to pull it off. And he's with the anti-Semite. And there's this wonderful part where the anti-Semite is telling him how to spot a Jew. And Jews have, have big noses. You know, so if you see somebody with a big nose, they might be Jewish. And, and Jews have garlic breath. They, they're always eating garlic. They have garlic breath. And um, Michelle looks up at him and says, but Grandpa, you have a big nose. And you have garlic breath. And he goes running out of the anti-Semite house saying, he's a Jew, he's a Jew. I mean, just a, it's a great, great scene. That is awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us tonight for Coffee and a Conversation. Um, definitely, everybody, if you can, check out Larry Cooperman and Fred. Uh, Fred has written some amazing articles that can be found at beyondbarriersusa.org. And Larry's presentations can be found there, too. Um, do you guys have any closing remarks, comments, questions, jokes? I think I'm all joked out. Uh, first time in my life I've ever said that. <laughs> of course. Well, thank you guys for joining us tonight. And thank you guys who tuned in this evening. Um, definitely check us out. And I will be back again uh, next week for more Coffee and a Conversation. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Awesome.